Section three of a Lear of the Steps, etc., by Ivan Turgenev. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Lear of the Steps, Part Seven. My mother did not like Harlov's elder daughter. She called her a stuck-up thing. Anna Martinova scarcely ever came to pay her respects and behaved with chilly decorum in my mother's presence, though it was by her good offices she had been well educated at a boarding-school, and had been married, and on her wedding-day had received a thousand roubles and a yellow Turkish shawl, the latter, it is true, a trifle the worse for wear. She was a woman of medium height, thin, very brisk and rapid in her movements, with thick fair hair and a handsome dark face, on which the pale blue narrow eyes showed up in a rather strange but pleasing way. She had a straight thin nose, her lips were thin too, and her chin was like the loop-end of a hairpin. No one looking at her could fail to think, well, you are a clever creature, and a spiteful one too. And for all that there was something attractive about her too. Even the dark moles, scattered like buckwheat over her face, suited her and increased the feeling she inspired. Her hands thrust into her kerchief, she was silly watching me, looking downwards, I was seated while she was standing. A wicked little smile strayed about her lips and her cheeks, and in the shadow of her long eyelashes. Ugh! Oh, you pampered little fine gentleman! the smile seemed to express. Every time she drew a breath her nostrils slightly distended, this too was rather strange. But all the same it seemed to me that were Anna Martinova to love me, or even to care to kiss me with her thin cruel lips, I should simply bound up to the ceiling with delight. I knew she was very severe and exacting, that the peasant women and girls went in terror of her. But what of that? Anna Martinova secretly excited my imagination, though, after all, I was only fifteen then and at that age martin petrovitch roused himself again anna he shouted you ought to strum something on the pianoforte young gentlemen are fond of that i looked round there was a pitiful semblance of a piano in the room yes father responded anna martinova only what am i to play the young gentleman he won't find it interesting why what do they teach you at your young lady's seminary I've forgotten everything. Besides, the notes are broken." Anna Martinova's voice was very pleasant, resonant and rather plaintive, like the note of some birds of prey. "'Very well,' said Martin Petrovitch, and he lapsed into dreaminess again. "'Well,' he began once more, "'wouldn't you like, then, to see the threshing-floor, and have a look round? Volodka will escort you. Hi, Volodka!' he shouted to his son-in-law who was still pacing up and down the yard with my horse. Take the young gentleman to the threshing-floor, and show him my farming generally. But I must have a nap. So, good-bye." He went out, and I after him. Anna Martinovna at once set to work rapidly, and, as it were, angrily, clearing the table. In the doorway I turned and bowed to her, but she seemed not to notice my bow and only smiled again, more maliciously than before. I took my horse from Harlov's son-in-law, and led him by the bridle. We went together to the threshing-floor, but as we discovered nothing very remarkable about it, 
and as he could not suppose any great interest in farming in a young lad like me, we returned through the garden to the main road. Part Eight. I was well acquainted with Harlov's son-in-law. His name was Vladimir Vasilievich Sletkin. He was an orphan, brought up by my mother, and the son of a petty official, to whom she had entrusted some business. He had first been placed in the district school, then he had entered the seigneurial counting-house, then he had been put into the service of the government stores, and, finally, married to the daughter of Martin Petrovitch. My mother used to call him a little Jew, and certainly, with his curly hair, his black eyes always moist, like damson jam, his hook-nose and wide red mouth, he did suggest the Jewish type. But the colour of his skin was white, and he was altogether very good-looking. He was of a most obliging temper, so long as his personal advantage was not involved. Then he promptly lost all self-control from greediness, and was moved even to tears. He was ready to whine the whole day long to gain the paltriest trifle. He would remind one a hundred times over of a promise, and be hurt and complain if it were not carried out at once. He liked sauntering about the fields with a gun, and when he happened to get a hare or a wild duck, he would thrust his booty into his game-bag with peculiar zest, saying, "'Now you may be as tricky as you like. You won't escape me. Now you're mine.' "'You've a good horse,' he began in his lisping voice, as he assisted me to get into the saddle. "'I ought to have a horse like that. But where can I get one? I've no such luck. If you'd ask your mamma now, remind her.' "'Why, has she promised you one?' Promised? No, but I thought that in her great kindness. You should apply to Martin Petrovitch. To Martin Petrovitch? Sletkin repeated, dwelling on each syllable. To him I'm no better than a worthless page, like Maximka. He keeps a tight hand on us, that he does, and you get nothing from him for all your toil. Really? Yes, by God. He'll say, My word's sacred and there it's as though he's chopped it off with an axe. You may beg or not, it's all one. Besides, Anna Martinovna, my wife, is not in such favour with him as Evlampia Martinovna. Oh, merciful God, bless us and save us! He suddenly interrupted himself, flinging up his hands in despair. Look, what's that? A whole half-root of oats, our oats, some wretch has gone and cut. The villain! just see thieves thieves it's a true saying to be sure don't trust escovo beskovo erino and bailino these were the names of four villages near ah ah what a thing a rouble and a half's worth or maybe two roubles loss in sletkin's voice one could almost hear sobs i gave my horse a poke in the ribs and rode away from him Sletkin's ejaculations still reached my hearing, when suddenly, at a turn in the road, I came upon the second daughter of Harlov, Evlampia, who had, in the words of Anna Martinovna, gone into the fields to get cornflowers. A thick wreath of those flowers was twined about her head. We exchanged bows in silence. Evlampia, too, was very good-looking, as much so as her sister, though in a different style. She was tall and stoutly built, everything about her was on a large scale, 
her head and her feet and hands and her snow-white teeth and especially her eyes prominent languishing eyes of the dark blue of glass beads everything about her while still beautiful had positively a monumental character she was a true daughter of martin petrovitch she did not it seemed know what to do with her massive fair mane and she had twisted it in three plates round her head her mouth was charming crimson and fresh as a rose and as she talked her upper lip was lifted in the middle in a very fascinating way but there was something wild and almost fierce in the glance of her huge eyes a free bird wild cossack breed so martin petrovitch used to speak of her i was in awe of her this stately beauty reminded one of her father i rode on a little farther and heard her singing in a strong even rather harsh voice a regular peasant voice suddenly she ceased i looked round and from the crest of the hill saw her standing beside harlov's son-in-law facing the rood of oats the latter was gesticulating and pointing but she stood without stirring the sun lighted up her tall figure and the wreath of cornflowers shone brilliantly blue on her head part nine i believe i have already mentioned that for this second daughter of harlov's too my mother had already prepared a match this was one of the poorest of our neighbours a retired army major gavrila fedulich zitkov a man no longer young and as he himself expressed it not without a certain complacency however as though recommending himself battered and broken down he could barely read and write and was exceedingly stupid but secretly aspired to become my mother's steward as he felt himself to be a man of action i can warm the peasants hides for them if i can do anything he used to say almost gnashing his own teeth because i was used to it he used to explain in my former duties i mean had zhitkov been less of a fool he would have realized that he had not the slightest chance of being steward to my mother seeing that for that it would have been necessary to get rid of the present steward one kvitsinsky a very capable pole of great character in whom my mother had the fullest confidence zhitkov had a long face like a horse's it was all overgrown with hair of a dusty whitish colour his cheeks were covered with it right up to his eyes and even in the severest frosts it was sprinkled with an abundant sweat like drops of dew at the sight of my mother he drew himself upright as a post his head positively quivered with zeal his huge hands slapped a little against his thighs and his whole person seemed to express command and i will strive my utmost my mother was under no illusion on the score of his abilities which did not however hinder her from taking steps to marry him to evlampia only will you be able to manage her my good sir she asked him one day zhitkov smiled complacently upon my word natalia nikolaevna i used to keep a whole regiment of order they were tame enough in my hands and what's this a trumpery business a regiment's one thing sir but a well-bred girl a wife is a very different matter my mother observed with displeasure upon my word ma'am natalia nikolaevna zhitkov cried again that we're quite able to understand in one word a young lady a delicate person 
Well, my mother decided at length, if Lampia won't let herself be trampled upon. End of section three.